Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my wife, Janet, and uh, we will have Tara, Tara Don Miller, on our show today, and she has been on our show before, and she is actually our first international guest ever. She is from uh, Kelowna, Canada, and we're super excited to have her back on. She uh, did such a good job and has so many topics to talk about. She's a great presenter that we wanted to have her um, back on today, so you do not want to miss her or this show because she's going to be talking about resilient women. To change your brain, to manage your stress, um, balance your hormones, and to regain control. And we'll even throw a little bit of extra stress in there um, regarding COVID. So you do not want to miss this episode. Please tune in until the very end so you can hear all those um, situations. So um, we are streaming from downtown Moses Lake, Washington at the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio, as we always do every 1 to 2 p.m. on Monday. And stay tuned um, Thursday because, as usual, our Thursday podcast will be 8 to 9 a.m. Um, um, Pacific Standard Time. So tune in then. And we have this week, this Thursday, you don't want to miss out because we have another Tara and she's a type one diabetic and an athlete herself who actually helps to um, coach diabetics. So you do not want to miss out on that. With that, I am going to uh, let Tara, Tara begin. Tara, welcome back to our show. Thank you. I'm happy to come back. Yeah. So you're a psychotherapist. You've spoke on resilient women before. Tell us what you tell us what you know about that. Well, I know about resilient women because I had to become one. And I think what happens often for anybody, uh, man or woman, is that life throws challenges at you. And in the midst of that, we forget that we truly have this innate capacity for resilience to overcome the idea that we can bend and not be broken. And sometimes things get overwhelming and we forget that we have more resources within our own uh, system at our own disposal uh, than we realized. And going through some of the stronger uh, challenges of life, you almost always come out on the other end more resilient, more capable, with more resources to get through the next one. And we forget often because sometimes life feels unfair or it's too much. And we forget that we actually do have a system that was designed to overcome, to get through those those challenges and those disruptions in life. So out of my own journey and, and becoming a psychotherapist and working with so many women in the past 10 years of practice, a lot of my um, teaching and, and speaking engagements have been on helping support women realize that they have more capacity to overcome even the most overwhelming challenges of life than that they might have thought they had. That's awesome. And I'm going to be real honest with this show. I think um, it's only appropriate that my wife asks most of the questions. So Janet, as a woman, what kind of questions do you have um, for Tara so we can educate and empower our listeners and viewers? Well, I think as I'm uh, listening to resilience, I, I see that. And, and one of the things that I um, found in my own life is that I tap into women of different ages. And what is your thought on that to, to learn how to be resilient? I mean, how do we use uh, our relationships to be a tool for us? It's a great question. And it really goes back to where resilience is created, which we often think it's a mindset or an attitude, and it is. There is that perseverant 
attitude that helps us um, through sheer will sometimes get through things. But underneath all of that is the health of our nervous system and how we have learned to operate in the world. And we learn that very young. I know I talked about this on my last appearance here is about regulating the nervous system, but we learn how to be resilient through co-regulation, primarily with our mothers or whoever our primary caregiver is. So the health of their nervous system, how they've been able to uh, rise up and get through challenge, but then also the other piece of that, which is coming back down, being able to be calm and recuperate. We learn that from our primary caregiver, usually our mother, and, and that co-regulation sets us up at different stages of our life to self-regulate um, and, and get through challenges with the right perspective. So the resilience piece is that having a healthy baseline and having confidence that there's a place that you can come down to that's healthy and supported that gives you the ability to respond to life's challenges appropriately and proportionately, be able to come out of those challenges, have the perspective that things are temporary, that you can get through them. So that comes on board really early on at an unconscious level uh, based on how our family of origin operated, how our mother operated, and we piggyback off of that. And a lot of people come into different parts of their life and realize there was a gap there that they didn't maybe get the resilient template that they would have liked. And so because we have this changing brain that can learn and adapt at any stage of life, we can um, co-regulate off of the right people or learn the right techniques or develop the right lifestyle to increase our capacity for resilience. So we almost all of us have a point in our life where we where we remember thinking, I didn't get quite enough of something. And so I need more of strength or I need more balance or I need more something. And that usually sets us off on a journey to find the resources that work for us to do that. So give us an example of how you would change your brain to manage your stress. Yeah, so the nervous system piece is really relevant because the nervous system trumps everything. Its only job is to keep you alive. It um, informs your hormones, how to behave, your entire endocrine system, your fight or flight response, um, your immune system. So um, balancing that and regulating that does start to regulate your brain. It reduces inflammation everywhere. It helps support a healthy foundation for which you build everything else for. And um, an example would be Often people go through challenges and they feel like they're managing quite well. And really what's happening is it's just filling up the container. It's just layering up experience and they feel like they're coping. But then one day it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. One day they're not coping so well. So I see this a lot uh, with a lot of women in my practice where they've gone through really traumatic experiences of life and maybe they haven't had the full um, ability or resources to really come out of it, come back down into a, a calm baseline. So when they see me, they've had one small thing, a trip and fall or a dental procedure or a minor fender bender, and they can't recuperate because they developed all of these symptoms. So there's chronic pain, there's insomnia, there's headaches, there's a lot of shame and guilt because they feel like I operated through my life and did all of this. And now this one small thing happens and I can't get back to myself. I can't recover from this. So they feel compromised in their resilience. So what we do when they come to session is help them 
through their mind, through their body, connecting everything, coming back down to a place of baseline. And we just practice what it's like to realize that those events are over or to find resources that we can capitalize on, um, to use the imagination and visualization to help settle the nervous system. And over time, we're basically bringing everything back down to this calm baseline over and over again until their nervous system, which is very unconscious, realizes the threats are over and we're creating room. We're just working to create room in their nervous system so that the symptoms can go away, so that they can resolve. In, in that process, as we do that, it creates new neural pathways in the brain around resilience, around support, around victories, around all the resilience that they forgot that they had because of a cascade of symptoms or a cascade of events that they felt they couldn't recover from. So a lot of the work is really strength focused about looking at different things about them that they might have forgotten that they had, things that they used to get through previous trauma or overwhelm, and really incorporating that into the practice of visualization, remembering, tracking it with our body, helping the system keep coming down to a calmer space and completing these fight or flight cycles that we all get stuck in that keep us from truly resolving and coming back down to a place where we can live in a healthy, resilient, flexible way. So I'm assuming that means that we start recognizing how our body's responding to our emotions and mental status, because sometimes we're just on autopilot. We just, we're living. Yeah. But this is being purposeful and finding that, okay, hey, I'm not dealing with this because this is going on and this is going on, correct? Right, and that will always show up in the physical body first. So if people can start recognizing when they start to feel agitated or activated or those moments of anxiety, it comes in the body first. If we can really tune into what's going on in the body, that's the cue to the nervous system. And then we can help adopt and adapt new strategies to come out of it. So if I'm starting to feel worked up, I can notice that in my physical body. I can depersonalize it by even just the idea of this is just activation because there's lots of stress going on. And then I can bring in tools at that point that are going to help me come back down into a settled place. So I can do grounding practices. I can do, you know, track my breathing a bit better. I can take a moment and be still. I can meditate and so I can interrupt the pattern of being overwhelmed, of being activated up, which we become kind of addicted to, not on purpose, just because the brain gets addicted to the state it spends the most time in. So as women, if we're juggling all these things and living in constant overwhelm, and maybe we had previous trauma and we had other things going on that are overwhelming, we're kind of operating at this really um, high speed uh, pattern that the brain will become addicted to that will become normal and being still and calm and that that whole parasympathetic kind of rest and recovery state will feel uncomfortable. What we want to start doing is training it to go down and to do that so that then we can be flexible in when we need to go into fight or flight and not just automatically stay in the autopilot of what else do I have to manage right now in my life. Well, and I think biologically, I don't think, you know, when you look back biologically, I think, you know, we forget, you know, how we evolved. And most of the time we weren't 
in fight or flight. You know, we were in a parasympathetic state and probably resting 20 hours a day. You know, we might be hunting and gathering, which, you know, the hunting part could be maybe stressful. You're getting chased, but um, the gathering part's not. So, you know, so, you know, now in our modern day environment with, with all the stresses of, um, you know, the modern day, which all with all the um, conveniences we have, it comes a, lot, a little bit of stress too. And we're not made to be in sympathetic mode all the time. We're most, we're supposed to be in parasympathetic mode. So, you know, our right. bodies do, um, you know, our bodies do get tolerant to that and get used to it. And that's part of the problem you're talking about, correct? Absolutely. Because you're right. We're supposed to be in fight or flight when there's imminent life-threatening danger. And right now we're in fight or flight a lot throughout the day, um, surveilling for threat that is imaginary, that is from the past, that is that doesn't exist in this moment, or that's coming from the fact that we have chemicals pumping out of chronic stress in our systems. So our survival brain is like, I, I should be looking for something that's wrong because this, the way that this biochemical process happens, happens when I'm in life-threatening situations. So even when it's not present that we should be fighting for our lives, there's sensations around, we should be looking for something that might be a threat um, to save our lives. So it goes, it really throws everything off and throws our ability to have proportionate and accurate um, perceptions and emotions and thoughts. So this is where you see the uh, people that can't turn their thoughts off at night, the racing thoughts, the intrusive thoughts, um, the inability to sleep, because it, it's that stuck in high cycle and not able to power down that is depleting us over time. And it's brilliant that we're so um, evolved and not evolved at the same time. We're so evolved, we can withstand this chronic stress. But at the same time, it's depleting us and making us uh, suffer in ways that we were really never meant to. And that that impact every part of our lives from our parenting to our relationships, to how we feel, to how our bodies function. Um, the whole gamut is is part of this. It's, ne it's never just one piece. It's this big picture. Um, and we can see where the sources are. But in this time of society and life, and this year especially, it's much, much harder to regulate, to get into parasympathetic, to, to deal with everything that a lot of women are juggling right now. They don't even know where to start. So you mentioned something about being temporary, that our stresses are, are temporary. And I mean, when I think about that, you know, go back, going back to evolutionary or, or biologically, um, you know, the fight or flight thing, you know, in our sympathetic um, nervous system is meant to be temporary and not for that long. So in, in your counseling as a psychotherapist, do you talk about, you know, does it help at all to tell patients um, that this is just temporary? Does it help that or does it actually hurt the situation to say that? I think it helps because I think one of the one of the parts of my job is to bring in the perspective that is missing or bring in the resource that is missing. So the reminders of this is temporary because even if it's chronic stress, it changes day by day. Therefore, it is temporary. It is different every day. So um, the reminder that it's temporary, the reminder that you've um, overcome things before in the past, the reminder that in two years, you'll be telling a different story about your life. Those things help uh, depersonalize because when we're in the midst of it, it's all personal. It's all huge. It's all something that we can't wrap our our um, 
our perspective around or adjust it because we're so caught up in our thinking brain. And so it helps to have someone interject a different version. It's about telling a different story. This isn't personal. It's just temporary. It's part of a collective experience. It's going against your evolutionary brain. It's normal, so we don't need to pathologize or add labels to it, and it will pass. Something else might come up, but if we're dealing with one slice of reality at a time, it will pass because it's temporary. We've just forgotten in the midst of the all-encompassing vacuum of our own mind that things do pass. I find it very interesting um, that women struggle with this um do you think it's more generational at this point? Because I, I'm thinking back to like when I was in um, junior high, you know, we, we looked at magazines called 17 and then now, now we're comparing ourselves to what's on Facebook for everybody. And, you know, that home that seems like everything's completely decorated, you know, like it's, it's, you know, like an interior designer did it, you know, I mean, how, I guess where I'm going is, is, you know, we've learned from a very early age to compare ourselves to other people and they are totally amazing. And why can I keep up with, you know, I mean, I, I'm just wondering if it's just being a learned response as we are caught up in media and social media. Yeah. I really think that at every, every generation is led by a different, piece of of information source so it might have been I remember all the magazines I loved all the magazines right <laughs> and now it's, and now it's uh, and it was detrimental it was not healthy right um, and now it's Pinterest and Instagram and and this skewed reality that supports a lack of health and a lack of self-worth that drives so much dysfunction and I think each generation has a piece of it that comes from a different source I think it's a really a real struggle right now for this younger generation because it hasn't moved slowly. It's kind of all that they've known, um, but evolutionarily wise, we haven't really developed the skills to learn how to filter or even acknowledge that what we see isn't real, that, that, that the media that's coming in isn't real. When we get older and our brains have matured, then we try and undo the damage of not being able to filter that, right? So now in my 40s, I can go, well, I don't wanna be around toxic people or people that make me feel this way. I wanna be around people that are more like who I wanna be like, because I know this, I have that wisdom. And I can say, I'm not gonna follow those Instagram accounts because they make me feel super lousy about myself. I'm right. gonna follow these ones. So I can do that at my age, but I couldn't do it at 20. Um, even with magazines, I just was in the consumption of it all. And I think our the younger generations, my teenagers, it's come so fast and it has ha happened as such a rapid shift as far as um, how they're processing information. It's going to be really interesting to see how they undo the damage that this time has caused them also. But I think we've all had to do it. I just think it's um, it's wrap so rapid in a way that the brain wasn't really ever created to absorb that it makes it really difficult to depersonalize because everything feels like an experience that's been personal now because of how it is delivered. 
Yeah, correct. Yeah, well, thanks for that insight there. Um, you know, you're talking about you want to be around people that you want to be like and emulate. We talk about it all the time on this show, and it's, we, we call it proximity principle. That's not original to us. There's actually a book written on that um, from Ken Coleman. He uh, works for Ramsey Solutions, and it's called proximity principle. And it's more for for um, he talks about it in in business and if you you know in a business relationship type, but we talk about it in general that um, you know you 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 should be around people that you want to be like, and in in that in general that'll make your life a lot better for sure. So we have a question on Facebook. Uh, we're going to stream it here shortly. It looks like let's see if I can read this. So obviously, the large single mother population in our world would magnify these issues. The mother, single mother population in our would magnify these issues. What would best recommended for them to persevere through all the struggles? I'm so sure I can you speak to this so well. <laughs> Good. Thank you, Dr. Jared Wallen, for that question. That's great. And it's true because, and this is another place where women compare, where the stay at home moms compare to the work at home moms compare to the working outside of the home moms compare to the single moms. I've done all of those mom. Um, categories. Um, and I only know for me, which was, which one was the hardest for me, but it's different because we're all different. Um, I've been a solo parent for over 15 years. So I've done that while changing a career, while going through trauma, while bringing my kids through trauma, um, and, and just life of, of working and, and being a provider. So all of that was a challenge for my resilience. And what I learned, I mean, I had great support in that I was seeing um, the creator of self-regulation therapy, which now I'm trained in, uh, to help balance my nervous system throughout the process. So that was probably life-saving in multiple ways as far as the quality and direction of the path that I took and the health that I was able to achieve and and. Um, support and continue even now because often that depletes when we're going through trauma. It was an opportunity to actually increase health going through those experiences. So one of the things that I learned most is that there's no trophy at the end for doing it all. I know that we can and that we're capable of. I know that we weren't we're not supposed to do everything all the time because uh, in so many ways our systems are not built for it. So I learned that there was lots that I could learn how to do being on the roof, hanging Christmas lights. I could do it fixing toilets. I could do it. But I went through this path of I need to prove that I can do it all as a single mother. And it was a recipe for um, energy depletion, hormone dysfunction, just feeling lousy all the time. But also there was no reward. And so one of the things I tell single parents a lot is, there's no reward for doing it all by yourself. There's no trophy at the end. There's there's nothing in it. Um, the, that martyr complex that we feel like is going to give us something, some kind of victory at the end is false. It's um, what's gonna be better for you is acknowledging where you need help. And even like if you're in a career, where are your strengths? So focus in on your strengths. So as a single parent, where do you need to be strong? Where do you need to be supported? identifying very strategically what kind of help and support that you need. And then you just have to get over that, um, that shame or that inhibition of asking for help. And you just have to do it as if your life depended on it because getting the right support system, surrounding myself with the right positive people, um, 
doing this, this work on a nervous system level, on a mental health level, all of that supported my ability to get through some of the most challenging experiences of my life, not just intact, but even better. So I think that piece of knowing where you need help. And I also removed any negative connotation from the word selfish. I think women really benefit if they take a moment and allow or have permission to be selfish and ask on a regular basis, what is it that I need right now? And then you give it to yourself because if you wait for someone else to supply it, you wanna be able to ask for help. But if you wait for someone else to supply it all the time, it doesn't help support you getting stronger and more resilient and persevering. It actually makes you feel um, more lonely, more wounded, less resilient. So there's that balance of here's where I need help, I'm gonna ask for it. But also, this is what I need right now and I'm going to supply it for myself and being selfish in this moment because it doesn't mean I'm not giving to other people in my life. It just means I'm taking care of myself first in a very impeccable way, not in a wash down, take an extra bath, self-care kind of cliche. I'm radically nourished. Although there's nothing wrong with that, right? Nothing wrong with that. Okay. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. But yeah, I want to clear that up. Women, they're going to say it, that doesn't nourish me enough. I think it's important to have the self-care practices, but to take it, to make it more extreme and more dramatic, I'm nourishing. I'm selfishly nourishing what I need as a woman so that I can be a better woman for everyone I want to give myself to. Well, and I think, honestly, you know, you talked about the connotation of selfish and I think it's really gone too far because here's the reality in my opinion. If we don't take care of ourselves first, we can't take care of anybody period. So if women don't take care of their ki- themselves first, they cannot take care of their kids. That is just, that is, those are just facts. Yeah. And you see women who have let their health deteriorate. Um, and partly is because they're just so overwhelmed with their kids and they're so, you know, involved with their kids and then their health deteriorates. Well, what happens when their health deteriorates and they can't take care of their kids anymore. So I also believe that we are wired And I don't use the term selfish because it's got such a bad connotation, but let's face it. I think we are wired biologically to have our self-interest in mind, period. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think we need to get over the fact that that's that's not selfish and it's just okay because it is protecting our own self-interest is a good thing because, you know, as a father, as a husband, if I protect my own self-interest, that means I protect my family around me. You know, that's just reality because I'm interested in them. So we have to take care of ourselves first. I appreciate you expanding on that, Um, Tara. Janet, do you have some question to to expand on that? Yeah, I kind of do because I I guess I'm kind of going to speak out of personal experiences that, you know, I found as a, a mother really early on that some people's advice just didn't quite hit me the right way. And I had to go with my gut. But, you know, this doesn't sound right. So one of the things that I was fortunate to have is women that had lived life that were able to walk alongside of me and I could speak to them about, you know, hey, this is happening. What is what is your feelings on this or what is your experience? And I will say, looking back, that that was that was truly helpful, whether it was the same person or somebody else. And I think one of the problems that we have as women is we feel shamed if we ask somebody what their opinion is and and we feel shamed if we don't agree with what what their their view is because 
you know, there has to be an answer right then and there. And, and sometimes the answer comes to you as you're parenting with experience with that child or with experience with your own life. But asking people for help isn't shameful. It's not, it, it's just saying that, you know, hey, I don't have all the answers. Um, and I think sometimes we want to be that person that has it all together all the time, every moment of every minute of the day, yet to come to somebody to say, hey, I, I, I don't know, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. Or even just talking about your life experiences then and, and sharing takes maybe that level of care that we need of having interaction with other individuals. Cause I feel like right now that that's lacking, like, you know, the person I would run and have coffee with, we can't, you know, or, you know, that person that we would, you know, go to a, a, a you know, club meeting or whatever is no longer there because we can't meet up. I guess. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I totally agree. We're created for community as, as a species, but as women, I mean, we collected it through the day in our tribes and, and shared this way and raised children together in that collective experience and the sharing of wisdom from multiple generations and, and multiple people that were in the tribe. And we've really pulled away from that. And a lot of women are doing most of it on their own. And if you're a single parent, you're doing a, a lot of it on your own. Solo parent, you're doing all of it on your own. So it's very easy also then to further self-isolate because of fatigue. You're just so tired of, of all the things you have to do to get through a day. By the time you make it to the kid's bedtime, there's no energy to reach out and have a conversation or connect any further. So it becomes even more self-isolating. And with women, the catch really is we have this um, biological desire to connect and we have to be really careful that when we get together to do that connection, that it doesn't take on a negative bias because that then becomes a toxic um, level of connection. And, and I experienced that when I had uh, really little kids and then went from being a married to a, kind of a widowed uh, solo parent then there wasn't the same resonance. But what I noticed is people were far more supportive of me when I was in a victim place or when I was in a negative place. They were supporting each other um, in complaining, in, in different really circular arguments that had no positive outcome or, or community focused solution or benefit. So we have to be careful that we don't get together with that desire to connect and communicate and end up being in a negative spin cycle with each other that when we leave, we didn't get a benefit from it. In fact, it depleted our nervous system and our own sense of resilience or ability to go back into our lives. So there's the balance of that and then looking at how, what can I do in my circles of influence to be a positive instigator, to have solution focused, positive reinforcing, uplifting of women kind of conversations that when we get together, we're supporting each other in the connection, but in a way that elevates everyone. And I think it's a mindfulness going into um, interactions and supporting other women that, that we can take on to make the space better. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that comment. That that is, um, I think, so true. And there we go again. It's just kind of proximity principle. And if, and if um, people aren't uplifting around you, 
then, you know, maybe it's somebody you shouldn't be around. I know I choose to take those toxic people out of my life. If they uh, just are not uplifting to, to me, then, you know, why should I really be around them? So I want to back up a little bit because you mentioned that women should help ask for help. And, you know, just this conversation, one of the great things about this podcast is I, I learned so much just being on the podcast and being educated from, from um, great people like yourself, Tara. So thank you. And, um, you know, one of the things I've learned today is just how important certain things are. I mean, I've realized it before, but it just reiterates just how important certain things are to, to women. I'm, I'm speaking to my wife, um, specifically now, um, and, and maybe aren't to me, uh, like for instance, she mentioned the Christmas lights. I think you mentioned Christmas lights too. I don't remember that. And, you know, honestly, I don't want to speak for a lot of men, but I, I know I have a really good friend and <laughs> he could care less. I could really care less, but it's important to, to my wife. So you talk about that. You don't have to do everything by yourself. So what about, so how, how would you deal with a Christmas light or a Christmas dinner? You don't do it all by yourself. So you ask for help. I mean, what, what do you, who do you ask for help? And can you, when do you say no? And is it okay if you say the help is, okay, well, I can't hang Christmas lights or it's going to be too much stress, so I'm going to hire somebody to do it? Can, I know that's a multi-part question, but what about all those, all those examples? The answer is yes, all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> I've done all of it. Let I've me begged, tell you. Okay, let me just I've back hired. up. <laughs> let me just back up. The reason I say that is because if my wife wants me to start hanging Christmas lights, I know a great company that we can pay to do it. <laughs> Because I really don't want to. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> I think, you know, when you ask for help and somebody, if you get turned down or somebody doesn't do it, it's not personal. I mean, I think the biggest, one of the biggest takeaways of evolving as a human is realizing how little is about you and how little is really personal. So um, I, I went through that process of asking, of begging sometimes and then just accepting how important is this to me uh, if it doesn't get done if I can't find the resources to get it done am I going to waste my own resilience in like kicking down doors and and butting my head against the wall or are there things that I can let go of and it's important to be selective of what battles you're going to fight and what battles you're going to let go and be able to have that that sense of selectivity actually does build resilience because the more you feel in control of your life and behavior and emotions and experiences, the more you are naturally resilient through them. Um, so I think the asking for help, not taking it personally, and then deciding how important it really is to you. There's things that we just can't do at all. So I looked at what was really important to me as a parent, as a woman, uh, in my career, in my family, stuff had to be let go. So I've really lived in kind of a messy house for 10 years because it was the last thing that I was going to do. I was going to connect with my kids in certain ways and I didn't have energy to clean the house at the end of the day. So I'll either hire that out, I'll find a teenager to help, or I'll let it go because there's only so much that I can do. And at the end of the day, my health has to be the most important thing to me mentally, emotionally, and physically. So I operate on a priority level on a daily basis of what's going to make me feel good, nourished, healthy, strong, and I'm going to do those things. And if it's going to take away from me, then I delegate those things or I don't do them at all. Awesome. So you really, in some things you have to learn to say no. And I think it's so empowering and liberating. 
And it took me, and I think Janet, I'll speak for Janet, it took us a long time to be able to just say no to certain things. And um, it's it's very powerful to be able to say no and feel good about it. Um, without, and, and, without justifying yeah. it. Like it's not, no is complete sentence. No, period. <laughs> right, yeah, I, right. I don't have to care anymore about it. I can't, you know, I can right. if I want to, but this compulsion that we have to rationalize and explain ourselves, um, we don't. No is enough. And when you get to that point that you can say no without further explanation or you can back away from things without further justification, it does feel really empowering in a life that you might have not, that you might have felt very disempowered in. So it's always looking at what is the theme of your life that you don't like and how can you replace it with the opposite by the knowledge that you have, the tools that you use or the people that you're around so that you're constantly evolving into more of who you want to be and not dragging along all the things that are depleting you. Well, I just got to make a comment too. Um, I, I can see the little bit I can see of your office and I can see you also. I doubt you have a messy house for 10 years and that's all relative. <laughs> no, I get it. Because my wife says it all the time, and she says how messy our house is. And when people come over to visit, they're like, they're scared to do anything because it's like your house is so clean. It's like, and this is when we had kids at home. We don't have kids at home right now. Um, but my wife's just a clean freak. So I really doubt your house is that messy, Tara. <laughs> I It actually for real is. and But people come here, and they say they feel comfortable. They feel loved. They feel accepted because nothing is in its place. I don't know if anything, <laughs> everything has a place. Sometimes I come home and I think I was robbed and I wasn't. But that is just part of how it goes. We, I have focused on, um, like with my family and myself, I focus on things that make me laugh. I mean, obviously we're constantly cracking jokes around here. Humor is so important for, for resilience and hormone regulation. We focus on being active and moving and athletics. And so it's just one of the things that I was okay to let go of because even though it had judgment from other people sometimes, it was not mine to take on. And really at the end of the day, the warmth of this home and the family I created in my own health and longevity was so much more important that I, I didn't even need to touch it anymore. Awesome. Well, good for you. And thanks for explaining that to us. That's a very empowering for a lot of individuals for sure. So, um, Janet, you have a question for, yeah. for um, so, Tara? Right now, we have mothers that are also teaching and probably parents are homeschooling and things like that as well as working. Um, so we're kind of experiencing this term of COVID fatigue in our homes. So do you have any advice for women on how to kind of sift through this as we're going further into this um, pandemic situation? So the, the first thing I think, regardless of the situation, is to lower the bar. <laughs> I think we want to, and I think at the beginning, you get an adrenaline rush from the newness of, of this crisis. So there's, an, there's the fight or flight that comes. Um, it gives you a big hit and you think, okay, this is what we're going to do and we're going to manage. And there is a, a jolt that you get to, to kind of go and attack the problem. At this point, we're all suffering some crisis fatigue which is a term I only recently heard of, and I thought it couldn't be more perfect for, for what people are feeling. So I would say don't be so hard on yourself and set your expectations to be really realistic, Pri prioritize what's the most important, and sometimes 
just get through the bare minimum. My daughter's first year university taking it from home and was discouraged with some of her marks and the experience. And I said, set a low bar, babe, because this first year, it's the hardest ever to learn this way for kids right. and, and for professors and for parents. Set the bar lower. You just need to get through. So sometimes resilience is just getting through. It's not about getting through with you know a, a superhero costume at the end. It's just getting through, and that can be good enough. I think that's a big part of, of getting through this year or however long for all of us. And one technique that I really love and I use a lot, when things are um, pressing and overwhelming and it feels like they're never gonna end, often the being in the moment and trying to kind of go through and pull your way out, it doesn't feel like it's working and it doesn't feel like it's enough. And so what I often encourage is that people fast forward. They use the fast forward technique to come out of this moment and into another moment. When this is all over, two years from now, um, and I just had a birthday, so it's easy for me to kind of do the milestone on my birthday in two years. What's the story I wanna tell about how I got through this time? What's gonna be important to me in two years? And am I focusing on that right now? So I use a different time and space to gather perspective and resources to help me get through and to actually pave a way out of here. Because the more I live, in the two years away moment, where I'm gonna travel, how I'm gonna celebrate, what life is gonna look like, what I want to happen then when this is over, it gives me ideas and resources and compassion and that sense of regulation that okay, I can get through this because now I have something to look forward to. So I've created a reward and something to look forward to which the brain needs no matter what's going on in life. And I use that as a way to bring in resources that I don't have in this moment because everybody feels frozen and stuck and crippled somehow. And it feels like we're powerless. So if you take yourself out of this moment to another one where things are different, where you feel the way that you wanna feel, the more you think on that, the more the brain in this moment takes on that state and those chemicals, and it gives you a chance to kind of have a reset and you'd be surprised that little visualization technique, how you become more creative, how suddenly solutions appear to you, how you feel like you can get through another day when it feels like the worst day. So it's one of my favorite techniques because it works so quickly to hack into the nervous system, give it some parasympathetic juice so that you can get a sense of, okay, I can do another day. Because this also is temporary, even though if we're in the moment of it, it doesn't feel temporary anymore. But we can, we can kind of trick the brain into remembering that one day this will be over, and there's other things, and there's more life on the other side of it too. Well, everything is temporary. In fact, that's a law of physics, right? That there's an end to everything. And I think I've never really used it like you're talking about as a visual. It's a visualization technique, and you know you can athletes use it all the time when you know you picture yourself what the race is going to look like, and you know and you picture yourself winning, and and you picture yourself in the steps, but um, um, during that race, and really it's no different in our life. I mean, life is just really a race, and there will be an ending. So you have to have baby steps through the way and long-term goals through the way, and just visualize yourself getting through it. Um, don't sit back. Don't twiddle your thumbs and just just wait for things to happen. You got to make things happen. In order to make things happen, you've got to visualize those things happening. So I appreciate your insight on that, Tara. 
Thank you. And I think a good reminder too is we often focus on the rest part. We need rest and recovery to integrate resilience, but we build resilience through resistance. It's not, we don't get stronger um, by not facing challenge. So remembering that this is a part of what we're created for is constant growth and, and struggle is part of growth and you, there is the other side of it, but the mindset of going into it, remembering I was created to overcome all of this. I have the resources to overcome all of this. And if I go in intentionally looking to build resilience and to get stronger, then I know that this has a purpose because what we don't like as a human brain and a human spirit is a sense of purposelessness. So this mm -hmm. creates purpose and reminds us that this is, we are equipped to do this. We have been created to overcome. And this is actually how we grow our brain, how we become more resilient is by recognizing struggles as part of it. And then after we're through that part, then having the deep recovery and having that rest to be able to integrate it and to reset. But really life is all about rising up for the struggle, persevering, pushing through, getting stronger, building those resources for the next one, but making sure you take the time to recover in between. Yeah, it's just just like you say. It's just like physical exercise. Our our brain and and um, mental health needs exercise, just like physical health, and you know. So we need to work it all the time. And I like your idea of purpose because we are all created for some kind of purpose. And I think some people go on through life realizing not what their purpose is. And I think you really have to realize. All of us have a purpose and we need to figure out what that purpose is and and then that will drive our passion. And we know what our purpose is. It'll drive our passion and it'll make us be able to respond and help people even more so. 100%. Yeah, I agree. So speaking of passion, speaking of um, driving, what, what, what fires you up about what you do? What drives you, Tara? Well, all my great plans for my career for 2020 also were shut down. Um, and so I was booked to lead a mental health retreat in Costa Rica in, in March of 2021, and that was canceled. And I had a bunch of events that I was really excited for. I did finish a book um, during the early part of the pandemic, and then I got tired. So then I left it. <laughs> So now my goal is to finish editing the book for the end of this year and then pick up 2021 and see how a book, how even virtual work this way can uh, help more than one person at a time. The one on one work uh, was so fulfilling and helping people learn about their brains and helping people realize how strong they actually are, how, what they were made to overcome, what their capacity yeah. is and their potential, that fires me up. So to be able to do that on a bigger scale to help influence program creation for mental health that has this neuroscience focused, that helps people get further along than they were before, that fires me up. So if I was gonna set a goal for 2021, 2022, those would be it. Awesome. I love it. So how do people get a hold of you, Tara? How do people find you? Best way is through the website, taradonmiller.com. 
TerradonMiller.com. That's awesome. So speaking of books, um, I wrote a book. Uh, it was only available on Kindle Amazon, uh, Amazon Kindle form up until recently. I finished the hard, the paperback cover. I just proofread it over the weekend, so and I approved it. So it will be available on Amazon um, shortly, the paperback version, also the audio version. I finished recording over the weekend. It is called Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. And the great thing is, is it's just what we're talking about today. Um, one of the steps to the solution, one of the, the first step in the, in the six-step solution is you, the individuals, need to be proactive in your health. Not just physical health, but that's mental health. Health overall, you need to be proactive in that health. And listening to people like Tara can definitely help you do that. And that's what we want to do on this podcast, Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where we educate and empower consumers all over the world. And we are so enjoying that. That's our purpose. That's our passion. Uh, we really love that. So you've been listening to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Tune in Thursday. You don't want to miss it. Tara Thomas, she's a type 1 diabetic for over 25 years herself. And now her passion and her purpose is to teach diabetes diabetics how to control their health and control their diabetes. She's an um, athlete in herself, and she trains um, other diabetics that are athletes. And I'm super excited to have her on. So Thursday... 8 to 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. You don't want to miss that. Tara, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you. I was so glad to come back. All right. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you so much for listening and watching. 